This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And welcome to Ladies Who London podcast. I'm Emily Dell. And I'm Alex Lacey and we're qualified London Blue Badge tourist guides. Each week we bring to you some of the best bits of London. We talk about our favourite people, places and events with a bit of information, a lot of laughs and a whole lot of fun. We can be found on Instagram at Ladies Who London podcast and on our websites, guideemily.com and... and Ali- oh, uh- <laughs> Sorry. You, just- bit, fine. you can do it. It's completely spilled <laughs> over there. Sorry. That's all right. Carry on, babe. Go on. Go on. Why don't you do the last bit for once? Go on. Uh, Give it to you. And alexlacey.com. <laughs> You can do do the rest. (laughs) For information about upcoming walking tours and virtual tours, as well as what the Blue Badge Guiding Qualification is all about. Gosh, I mean, well, at least people know that 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 bit is live. You know, we're not cutting and pasting every week. We're getting slicker, I think. (laughs) (laughs) We're a year in and we've finally nailed how to do the entry. Oh, God. Honestly, why do they let us out? I don't know. I have no idea. Talking of being out, we are coming out of lockdown. We're sort coming of. out of lockdown. Slowly. Yes. So we can meet up with six people now. Yep. Which is just super exciting. It really is. And also it means that we can start doing uh, walking tours again. It does. Which is really exciting. So I'm going to be putting up um, my walking tour dates on my website soon. I'm not going to start them immediately. I'm going to wait a few weeks and then... Uh, yeah, and then I'm going to be putting them up. And then launch. And, uh, yeah, launch. fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I've got some walking tours in mind that I want to do. So that'll be good. That'll and be it's good. sunny, Alex. It's the sunny. Sun I don't know how long has... the sun's going to last, but no, it's sunny at the moment. It is sunny at the moment. So we're having a good week, aren't we? Yeah. So far, so good. So far, so good. Yeah, and we're going out for a nice walk on Thursday, which will be lovely. We are. Looking forward to that. Yay. Anyway, <laughs> that's enough of Alex and Emily's tiny little world. <laughs> oh, it is a tiny little world, isn't it? it? Is I always think, oh God, right I now. dread the question, how's your week been? Because <laughs> it's like, well, it's the same it's as last week and the, the week same. before. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, hey. but now that it's getting warmer and you can see people, you know, there's more things that you can do. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah it sort of feels like we're... Yeah, coming out of winter, it feels a bit hopeful, doesn't it, now? It does, it does. It's nice. Anyway, on with the pod. Um, welcome back, everybody. Hello, and welcome everybody. to any any new uh, listeners who are popping up. Um, well, what, what are we on about this week? I'm, I'm, not, <laughs> it's just not, I'm not functioning today. Well, should we talk about what we did last week? Yes, let's talk about what we did last week. Uh, so, a bit of a recap. We spanned the Wheel of Destiny and it landed... Oh, God, where did it land? I don't know. Oh, what oh, is wrong terrible. with us? Honestly, we're terrible. <laughs> what on earth were we talking about last week? Oh, I was we're talking, talking about, about Dame Ellen Terry. Yeah. Yes, so it landed over at Bankside. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about Shakespearean actor. So I spoke about Dame Ellen Terry. Well, and we chose our podcast pedestals, didn't we? We did. So my one was uh, the Lyceum Theatre, which is where you'll find uh, the Lion King today, which is a theatre that she helped uh, create. She helped sort of, um, yeah, build it up, really. And in grateful thanks, her name is one of the ones around the back um, still listed on the side of the building, which I think is a, a fantastic legacy. Uh, and lovely. it's lovely that it's a theatre that's still going strong today. I think that's great. Mm, absolutely. 
And I went for her parents. Mm. Her parents were both actors. Um, and they took Ellen absolutely everywhere. You know, they really showed her the ropes, as it were. So without her parents being actors, I... I don't know, would she have gone into that world? Probably not. So I think that they should be on the pedestal. All right. Which way do you think, are you feeling confident about this one? Uh, I, I think it is, it's going to be a close one because on my Instagram poll, there was only one point in it. Yeah. So It's funny because we, we, there was a period where they were vastly different, weren't they? Like, yes. And I think we've we've reached some kind of thing where, where our, our options are so, um, they're so kind of, challenging to each other that actually they've been very close of late and it is very mm. close as well uh, mm. this week there's only two points in it oh god last week what was it one point in it something like that i can't quite remember yeah yeah um, okay so, oh gosh okay yeah so we've got a 38 and a 36 <gasps> i've yeah. got a feeling i've got the 36 you have Oh my god! <laughs> I'm not very good at building up the detention, am I? Yes, no. yes, that's what I had. <laughs> Can yeah, we get a drum roll, please, next time, Alex? Um, yes. Okay. So 38 to the Lyceum and 36 to her parents. Well, to be it's honest, we have won one for uh, a couple of weeks now. You're so. All right. <laughs> you're well. You're vastly ahead now. I mean, it was what was it? 13, 11. So 14, 11. 14, 11. Bring oh, it on. Uh, well done. Thank you no, it was a good much. choice. It was a very good choice. Um, yeah, what can I'm I say? happy with that. My parents have let me down. So <laughs> <laughs> I have to have a bit of a word at some point. Uh, still, see, I'm, I'm still a fan of the theatre industry. There we go. Uh, <laughs> coming back for me. <laughs> oh, but no, well done. Well Thank done. you very much. Thank you very much. Yes. So this week it is my goes my turn. My turn. Um, <laughs> and I, I was so thrilled when because this is a, a spot that we've been wanting for quite some time which is Greenwich oh we've been thirsty for this spot <laughs> haven't we <laughs> really have so um, if, yeah I, I got Greenwich I'm happy happy days happy days so um, I was going to talk about there's a, a ton of stuff and I love Greenwich um, for the variety of stories that you get there I mean I say the variety it's mostly naval and seafaring and all that kind of thing and that, and that is what we're going to be looking at today um, but one of the things that when you think of Greenwich um, you think immediately of Greenwich meantime the Prime Meridian mm -hmm. so I wanted to touch a little bit on that um, and there's a story it kind of goes together with the story of the finding of longitude sexy topic uh, <laughs> it is isn't it longitude let's stuffy. talk longitude <laughs> but actually do you know what it's funny because um, right, I'm not a scientist I am very much a Oh, I, I'm the black sheep of my family. My whole family is scientists and I'm the artist. I'm the let's do a song about it kind of person. Um, <laughs> let's, let's do a dance. Um, and so I'm not going to be going headlong into the science because, frankly, I don't understand the science of anything. Uh, and also that's I think it's quite boring. So um, we're going to be look. Uh, it, I'm going to be very vague on the details. <laughs> well, the specific scientific details, because, yeah, I don't want to get the science wrong. But um, it's quite a good story because it. There's, it's not by just by chance that the Greenwich Meridian is here. Um, it all comes back to lots of work that was done uh, in the 1700s uh, about finding how you could uh, measure longitude when you're at sea. Mm -hmm. um, do, do you know much about kind of the longitude and latitude when you're sailing? Obviously, you know, you are a seafarer. You have you have been on many voyages to discover breadfruit and all that kind of thing. <laughs> How have, how have you uh, calculated your your location when you've been at sea? Uh, well, you know, I have, my parents live on the Isle of Wight, so I, I have oh, had many boat trips, many, yeah. many boat trips. Um, so when it comes to longitude, so it, if you, I guess if you think about the globe, the longitude are the vertical lines that go along the globe. Is that correct? Yeah. So, and the latitude are the horizontal lines. Yeah. So, what was the question? <laughs> how, do you know, I don't think it's really going to be able to answer anyway. Because how would you, how would you um, calculate your your position? <laughs> oh right. Well, I'd probably, you know, uh, if I was back in the seventeen hundreds, probably look up at the sun. Oh, well, the sun's not going to help you much. The stars will help you. Uh, yes, but if I if I leave it at a particular time when the sun is at the highest point, then I can calculate how long I've gone. 
Oh, I see. Hmm. I don't know how... Yeah, but the sun moves quite quickly. I don't know. Anyway, mm. the stuff in the sky, basically, is what we're yes, coming down to. Yes, the sky. I'd look sky up, stuff. Alex. I'd admire the sky and be like, gosh, I'm sure I've been sailing for two hours now. Actually, who cares? It's such a lovely voyage. Exactly. Exactly. Breadfruit ahoy. Um, now, okay, so if you think about it, Britain, uh, we are an island. Uh, therefore, if you want to do stuff, if you want to go and, and explore or you want to go and bring in produce, it, it necessitates sailing so we've you know we've always been a sailing nation because that by design that's that's what we are and you know traveling by sea was always slow and very quite dangerous actually during the time of sail and uh you know ships who would be carrying well cargo or passengers or, or anything really um loads of them would meet a bit of a sticky end at sea and, and just simply would never be heard from again and and it was often quite um usual for boats especially along the, the coastline to get caught in in storms and, and be driven ashore and all this kind of thing and so it's a really really tricky um tricky little chapter to, to to be able to navigate correctly when you don't have anything that can tell you exactly where you are so the problem is that longitude is much much harder to calculate than latitude the earth rotates 360 degrees per day uh, which, if you want the specifics, is about 15 degrees an hour. And so there is a direct relationship between the longitude where you are and the time that the sun rises and sets. So you have got the sun in there, but of course, depending on where you are, it's going to depend what time it sets. So the the sun sets an hour earlier, every 15 degrees east or west of the prime meridian that you go. Mm-hmm. And the problem was there was no real way of finding out your longitude. Latitude was fine. You could calculate that. But longitude was the problem uh, because you needed to kind of know how long you'd been sailing for, how far away from port. Because, of course, as you move the day, you know, every time you, you move a degree, if you were in staying in London, you'd know that the sun set at, say, seven o'clock for argument's sake. But the minute you start moving a few degrees across, you know, you're lengthening or you're shortening your day. So you then can't say, well, the sun set at seven o'clock because seven o'clock where so it's really really tricky mm. and so um they, they needed clocks in order to figure out where they were and how long they'd been sailing for but the trouble is the clocks that they had on board ships uh were the same as you'd have on land so often these pendulum clocks which the minute that you introduce sort of wiggly gravity and by that i mean all the kind of the waves sloshing around and your you know temperature changes as well which is going to expand or contract the metal the clock just loses time almost instantly so it's completely useless for figuring out where you are yeah it's going to be going all over the shop i mean especially if you hit hit a bit of a storm yeah especially if you hit a storm that'll turn you around and you won't have a clue and then you'll get to bits where you think you're in one place but actually you're in somewhere completely different Mm. and that can be very dangerous because if you think that you're in the you know with loads and loads of leagues below you but actually you've got coral that's coming up and you know you could ground your ship and and this is what would happen is people would um that the ships would run aground and lives and cargo would be lost and it was it was dreadful and it all comes to a head now i mentioned his name last week and i think he has the best name sir cloudsley shovel oh yes which is a brilliant name i love that so baby is born in the game let's call him cloudsley Cloudsley. Yeah, if anyone out there right, is listening Cloudsley. and expecting a baby, please, please call it Cloudsley. Call it Cloudsley. Little Cloud. I mean, Cloud is quite <laughs> cute, but then Cloudsley sounds like some kind of cheese. <laughs> it does, actually. Like a really kind of, a really goaty one. <laughs> a really goaty, milky, musty one. Yes. One that tastes like the farm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, Cloudsley Shovel, who is a bit of a dude, he is an admiral, um, and he takes his fleet in, in seventeen early seventeen hundreds. He takes his fleet. Um, he, he's he's travelled from Gibraltar, and he's aiming uh, obviously for England. And they get this really stormy weather uh, for about ten days. So he's all turned around, and they can't see the the stars, so they can't make these astronomic um, measurements and observations and He's forced to kind of navigate just by sort of figuring out, just just going. I think we're here, essentially. Um, and this, he, I mean, he's, okay, it's not just quite out of his head. He, there's speed estimates and compass readings and this, that, and the other. And his reckoning on on this one particular day, the storm has passed, and he thinks that um, 
he is nearing land and that he's got a good, you know, stretch of water below him and the sky's clear a little bit so he can make some, you know, astronomic observations. And he can't quite figure out exactly where he is, but he thinks that they are just off the coast of France. So he thinks, right, if that's where we are, we're going to sail northeast and that's going to carry us safely into the English Channel. And so he issues the orders and off goes the fleet. And However, he had got the location completely wrong. He was already um, off towards the northwest, very, very close to the Scilly Isles. Oh, so, Cloudsley. Oh, what know. are you doing, man? So when he goes, right, off you go that way, chaps. Basically, he ends up shoving them straight into the Scilly Isles. They run aground, the entire fleet, and there's about 2,000 men that are killed, including Sir Cloudsley Shovel himself. And this is where we start to get... Um, uh, well, actually a very big change where they, they bring in um, a, a thing called the Board of Longitude to, to solve this problem. And the reason is, Clousy Shovel was, a, a you know, he was quite well loved. Uh, but also, you've suddenly got, because normally when these ships are running aground, they're off in the middle of goodness knows where and it doesn't really affect people at home. And suddenly you've got Britons who are having the bodies of these of these men who've been, died at sea or died in, you know, um, in this this breaching of the of the fleet. And they're sort of washing up on the on the shores of 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 britain and this of course is is you know just massive massive big deal mm. um and so they set up this board of longitude and this is quite a good little strategy by the parliament because um instead of um what by by putting it onto essentially the scientific community they've gone right um we can't solve this isaac newton himself can't even solve it so what do you expect us to do we're going to open up this thing and we're going to ask the scientific community to solve this problem for us. So quite cleverly, they've shifted the blame away from them because for for years they've done nothing about it because it's kind of, oh, if you can't see that problem, don't to worry about it. But the minute you can see it on British shores, that's when the parliament uh, sort of realised, oh, we've got to do something. And they, by shifting the, the sort of focus onto science to, to create an, uh, a solution, it, it kind of shifts the blame away from them a little bit or shifts the focus away from them at any rate. Very clever, really. Right. Crikey. Yeah. Um, did you know there's a, a pub called the Ship and Shovel named after Clownsley? Yeah. yeah, right in the centre of London. Yeah, yeah. beautiful pub. It's actually in two somewhere. parts, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's split over a road. Well, a little passageway. Quite unusual. Hmm. Mm. I was thinking I might do an Instagram post on that at some point soon. Yes, I think you should. I think I'm mad. I think I'm mad. Anyway, so um, we so we get this 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 board of longitude that is set up, and the aim is basically to they bring in an act in 1714 called the Longitude Act, and they are offering money uh, in return for a solution to this problem so they they need somebody to find a a solution to create something that means that these ships can accurately determine their longitude and therefore these problems are not going to happen again um so it's it's quite a big deal really um and it becomes quite a a kind of coveted thing to be appointed to the board of longitude because these these guys by by sort of shifting this focus away from parliament and away from uh, all these shipping magnates who have not you know for ages not really bothered with the solution um it, it means that they're free to kind of still travel um and they still get reimbursement for expenses as well for carrying out their duties so it's quite a quite a coup to be appointed to this board um but it also means it's quite good for astronomers because of course that this 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 longitude act where they're trying to create um the solution they're kind of saying to the astronomers, you know, this is your ballpark. This is what you guys do. You're looking at the stars. Figure out something for us to do. Mm-hmm. So there we go. So um, it's quite good because these astronomers can actually do a lot of travel. They can go and do all sorts of paid research and that kind of thing. So we come on to a chap called John Harrison. I love John oh, Harrison. You've got to love a bit of John Harrison. He's so you? good. So <laughs> he, he hears about this, um, this Longitude Act and he pops up in London and decides that he is going to look for a bit of support and and essentially win this prize and get him get himself uh, cachet and, and this financial reward. So he does, decides that the way he's going to do it is to devise some kind of clock or timekeeping mechanism that is going to work on board the ships. Right. Um, and he wants to create something that will keep time to within three seconds a day. Now, to us now that's like yeah fair enough 
But that would make it more accurate than even some of the best watches uh, of the time. God, and this yeah. is 1714. 1714, I mean, yeah. People would have thought, oh, you're mad. You're mad if you think that you can achieve this. Yeah, I know, exactly. And and he does. And he actually achieves it on the very first go, which is amazing. Oh, oh, so, what a guy. What a guy. Um, so Harrison comes to London. He starts working with Edmund Halley, who is uh, an astronomer royal. And Edmund Halley is also a commissioner of longitudes. He's part of this board as well. Um, so he's been, you know, getting information from Halley and, and getting help with the stars and all this kind of stuff. So he decides that he is going to start his attempt on uh, his first uh, timekeeping mechanism, which is now known as H1. And if you go to Greenwich, which I strongly recommend you do because it's one of my favourite places in London, um, at the top of the hill, where they, you have the Greenwich Meridian, which we're going to come on to, and you also have the Royal Observatory, and in there you have John Harrison's timepieces. So you can go and see all of these. They're quite incredible. They're, you yeah, know, that thing when you... Beautiful, aren't they? Yeah, when you, know when you look at the back, or you get to see the inner workings of a clock, and you see all those little cogs and everything ticking around. Mm. It's like that, but on a much bigger scale. It's quite fascinating, actually. Mm. So intricate. Really, It's lovely, because really you can hear, like, the tick, 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 and you can see the yeah. pendulums of the bigger ones that he tried out beforehand yeah. and it, you just see it getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah. And they kind um, of, there's, there's three quite chunky ones and then suddenly there's this teeny weeny pocket watch. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> he suddenly did a massive leap, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely brilliant. So the first few years, he, he actually doesn't work in London. He works in Barrow-upon-Humber, so up in uh, up in Yorkshire, um, on this, this H1, as it's known. And he tests it on the River Humber. Um, and it works. It's amazing. He, he, he brings it to London in 1735. And it it seems that he has cracked this, this problem. One of the things it has is two what look like pendulums. So they're, they're sort of interconnected, but they sort of swing at opposite directions to each other if that makes sense yeah. not quite figure out how to say that but um and, and the reason for this is that it means that this movement of the ship that you've got it, it doesn't affect it it's still mm. able to keep time itself so it's it's a portable version of something that he's already created which is like a wooden kind of clock and so they they look at it and they go all right this this could be good so they call for a trial and the following year, Harrison and his clock or his his timekeeping piece uh, were put aboard a ship uh, going off to Portugal and they wanted to test it in a live setting. So the, Portu- the Portugal trip uh, goes out to Lisbon. It, it, it doesn't start brilliantly, but by the time they get there, uh, the machine is working better and they, they, they bring it back on another ship. And this one on the way back is much, much more successful. And as they come towards England, um, the officers on board ship have, have seen some land and they say, oh, it's, it's this chunk of land here. And Harrison says, actually, no, due to my calculations with my H1, it's actually this chunk of land, which is the lizard in Cornwall. And he was right. And that meant that they were 60 miles off course and in imminent danger. So right there, his his H1 is is verified. It's it's like, yep, that's fine. It's working fine. Um, So he brings it back, you know, that it gets off the ship and... This is where the the longitude, the board of longitudes start to get a little bit kind of, you know, because essentially they've got this chunk of money, this this prize, but turns out they're not that happy about giving it out, really, which is interesting. Oh, that's that's very strange. I know. Isn't it? What a I'm shock. surprised what they want to hold that money back. I know that never happens. Um, okay, so is John kind of like saying, "Hey guys, you know, H one, it's a success. Give me my money." Well, so they they say what they do is they they bring it forward to this um, essentially a sort of uh, a meeting, really a formal meeting of these all commissioners, and they uh, they come together um, in seventeen thirty seven and they decide to discuss what they've termed his curious instrument, which I think is a, a rather cheeky way of of something that he's created, which they've asked him to create. But anyway, yeah. and so they get <laughs> together and they they agree that a payment of five hundred pounds. Um, and they pay him £250 up front uh, to allow him to build an improved version of this. How much, what was the prize money? What did they first say, oh, this is what you get if if you succeed in the, the longitude mission? So uh, the, the prize fund had been set at £20,000, which in today's <sighs> money would be several million pounds. Whoa. Now, it's not clear whether or not that would all have gone to one person or whether they were going to reward anybody who came up with an option for it. Um, 
But obviously, when they say well, we're going to give you 500 quid, it's not really so much of a prize as it is we're going to try and sort of fund you to make a better version. So it's a little bit cheeky, but I guess it's I suppose at the same time, you know, you want to make sure you've got something that can be replicated and that works okay. So, uh, you know, you're not going to hand out millions for just going, oh, you've created something. It's not the perfect version of it. But yeah, anyway, so essentially mm. he hasn't got his hands on the cash just yet. Just yet, um, okay. So he promises to make uh, another version, an improved version, and he does more experiments on two more, H2 and H3. Mm-hmm. Um, H2 doesn't actually ever go to trial because he discovers uh, quite, a, quite a, a key flaw in it. So he, he takes what he's learned from that one and he, he goes on to H3. Um, and he, even though he's promised them one within two years, he spends 19 years working on it. Um it, does it, he does he have a family because i can imagine this taking over every inch of his day yeah i mean it must have done. i honestly i don't know if he's got a family or not i haven't really looked into his his personal life but um but yeah i mean i, I can yeah it would have been it would have been a lifetime uh, you know uh, dedicated to this really mm. um and, and i should say it doesn't take him 19 years to, to, to do it properly. He Five years, within five years, he's created H3 and it's being tested. Mm-hmm. But he, he's finding flaws with it and he's kind of tweaking and, and, and improving all, all the rest of the time. And then he gets to H4. Now, this is around the 1750s by this point. Um, so a good chunk of time has gone on. And he finds a new way of doing something which is to have a new type of balance in it which um is basically it's 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 in a pocket watch and he uses a kind of bi-metal strip which means that so it's two different metals so as you're going between different um areas where it's hotter or it's colder the two strips are kind of uh, again the science i'm not going to go too much into it because i don't really get the science but essentially it means that they can contract and expand and keep the whole thing running at the correct rate so it's very very and if you if you look at his tomb which is in westminster abbey um it is there are two little strips of metal a bimetal strip on it as well which is rather sweet Mm -hmm. his his um commemorative plaque in in westminster abbey it's rather nice little detail actually um Mm. so he he, he incorporates this into this this H4, which is essentially a pocket watch. And nobody... So, obviously, people have had pocket watches, but nobody had really seen it as a, a serious precision timekeeper. And so while H4... I mean, it does look like a pocket watch, but realistically, it's, it's a lot more complex. Um, so there's a lot more in it. it it's um, You can hear... If you listen to it, when you, when you go and see it, I don't know if you can quite hear it through the, the cabinet it's in, but it... it ticks really really rapidly it ticks five times a second so it's got this new balance in there and it beats much more quickly and and with much faster um a much faster pace than than a typical watch and this helps it keep time Hmm. so as well this board of longitude has has given um a they've given parameters for what they want so any of these timepieces that are being made have to keep time within a certain amount of of loss per day and even h1 is well within those boundaries so he's really you know he's smashing it out of the park um and so in the in 80 sorry 1761 he uh, the commissioners decide that okay h4 is ready to go on voyage we can go and trial it and he it goes on board ship to jamaica and the trial goes really well um he it, it's used to predict a much earlier landfall at madeira than the crew were expecting and the captain uh, is so impressed with this that he says look i would actually like to buy your oh. next version of this oh wow yeah so so you know even the captain within uh, they're going off to jamaica and he's only got to madeira and the captain's already, and like, already yeah, like, I'm on board. <laughs> like, I'm properly on board. Hey, we need to have a little bit of a chat down in the galley. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and there's quite a big name who takes uh, the the uh, the clock on board. Um, captain Cook. He takes four... Mm. He goes down to his second big voyage, which is in the 1770s. He takes four sea clocks uh, aboard his boat as he's going. So four different ones um, that you know, have been created through this thing. Because, of course, John Harrison's not the only one who's trying to crack this. So that one of them is is a copy of Harrison's H4. Okay. And um, there were other three different clocks made from different designs and this sort of thing. And one of them, uh, Captain Cook does say that it keeps time, and it's a great phrase, in such a manner as not to be complained upon. So, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's doing the job. 
It's doing the it's job. It's fine. It's fine. Okay. But Harrison's one, he is much less measured. He bloody loves it. Oh, he is does he? really enthusiastic and he, he bangs on about it and it says it's been found to answer beyond all expectation. Oh, bloody So he hell. is properly, he's loving this one. Um, and he, yeah, one of the best things about it, he says that it, it's so accurate that rather than being able to, you know, if you've got a clock that's accurate-ish, you can take the thing and then you've got to do quite a few measurements and this, that and the other and figure out exactly where you are. But he says this one is so accurate that it's really simple. You just take um, a few observations and you, you can do that directly there and, it, and you know exactly where you are. It's really, really good. And coming from Cook as well, who, you know, at this point in the the late 1700s has probably done multiple journeys and various adventures and things. So he knows, he knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's looking for. Yeah. So that's, that's fantastic. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's worked. He's done his job. This is this is perfect. So he brings it back and it is presented you know, all of this. We've got Cook, we've got um, this captain going down to to, uh, to Jamaica as well. Everyone's going, yeah, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. We love it. So it comes back to the Board of Longitude. What do you think they do? Well, um, I'm guessing then they're a little reluctant to hand over the money. <laughs> yes, they are not up for coughing up, basically. No. <laughs> Um, which is just so cheeky. You know, he's been working at this since, um, you know, the seven, since 1714. 1714. And, and it's now, we're now into the 1770s. I mean, yeah. So. <laughs> and I guess they, like the people on the board have probably changed through the years as well. So some have probably been a little bit tighter than others. Maybe, and, maybe. You know, well, you know, that was them. They discussed this. We're a new board or. I mean, probably, let's face it, that's the kind of thing that always happens, isn't it? Well, that might be what they've always done, but we're not going to do that. Anyway, yeah, I know, hilarious. I love I love that idea of yeah, the, the kind of the Jackie Weaver of the 1700s. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they decide that the test is not sufficient. They reckon that actually it's not enough and blah, blah, blah. And this is where really the relationship between the Harris, uh, Harrison and the, the board starts to deteriorate because of course harris has been working in very good faith for the best part of what 60 years to 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 create something that works that that fulfills their brief and you know by this point it's not about the month well it is obviously um but it it is about this is a lifetime project for him like you say and he's spent Mm. his whole life working on this and you know he's got it right he got it right the first time um and he's made it better and better and better and he's now suddenly going hang on we we've worked together for 60 years and now you're telling me that it's not good enough. So loads of his friends and supporters, they start a campaign, newspaper articles, pamphlets, which were a very big deal. Pamphlets were a great way of getting your message out uh, in times gone by, um, all sorts of stuff. And they basically, they, they, they start this, this sort of war of the propaganda war really uh, mm. in the press. And in the meantime, other methods have been coming up. So we heard about a couple of the others that have gone on Captain Cook's, um, ship and there's a there's about two others that are possibly going to rival his um but it, clearly harrison's you know we heard what what captain cook said clearly harrison's is very much the, the front runner and really really spectacularly accurate so but i bet you've got a lot of copycat people at this point because if the if it's going on and on you know in terms of these pamphlets being given out and the board's not listening to them other people who have the technical know-how but don't necessarily know the direction to go will look at h4 and completely copy it and try and make it a little bit better and i guess gain that money yeah i guess so you know it's it's really quite yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of competition. Of course, this is why they, they do this for, for things. They did it for Tower Bridge as well. They they set up a whole variety of competitions and, you know, that you could submit your... Because they want to see what's out there. They want to see who's got the ideas. And just because one idea is great doesn't mean another idea isn't and, and all that kind of thing. So, mm. but clearly Harrison has put the work in and he's, you know, he, his stuff is, is, is the best. Yes. So it, it takes quite a lot of, of strong arming and I think actually even the king gets involved uh, to kind of give him a bit of a nudge. And eventually the board's the board recommends that Parliament should award Harrison £10,000, um, which 
you know, for this H4. And the the remaining £10,000, uh, minus the payments that have already been made, like 60 years ago, um, would be awarded once it was shown that other makers could produce similar timekeepers. So essentially, they want to make sure it's not a one-off okay. and that this can be then made, uh, it, it multiplied and, and made so that people can have them on the ships. There's no point having one thing that works, but actually nobody else can make it and you can't make any more. Right. So, which is, which is fairly prudent, I think. Fairly prudent. So eventually... Yeah. Um, now, Harrison, um, he, he believed that the full rule was already due uh, under the terms of the Act and that the commissioners had actually changed the rules. So that's mm. quite an interesting interesting take. Um, and the recommendations uh, then became law in uh, under a law in 1765. So he, he didn't feel all that he... He didn't get all that he was owed. Um, and 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 the, like I say, the king sort of stepped in to to help that uh, go forward. But he is remembered in history as solving the problem of longitude, which I think is an incredible thing, because of course we see, you know, uh, seafaring and 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 all the sort of navigational stuff today would not have come got gone to anything if it hadn't been for John Harrison and his amazing uh, his amazing H four. Definitely, but- and I guess with the competition, it sped things up. You know, mm. naturally things might have taken um, a slower turn, but if it wasn't for Cloudsley and the competition, I mean, I'm not trying to give you podcast pedestal ideas here, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you know, suddenly you've got this G force behind solving this problem. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And I have to tell you, there is something that I really love about this story. And it's some of the completely mad, um, well, one in particular, completely mad um, idea that somebody put forward. Because, of course, whenever you put this this sort of competition out... um, you're gonna you're gonna get some some crazies. You're gonna, you're gonna get a couple of odd bobs. Yeah. yeah, you're gonna you're gonna get one. And one of my favourite time freaks, <laughs> time, time freaks. One of my favourites is a guy called Sir Kenelm Digby. So this guy's a sir. So he's in theory, you know, not just some wacko from the pub. Kenelm. Um, and he Kenelm, great name, right? And his now this is honestly my favourite thing ever. I mean, it's awful, but it's my favourite thing. So he proposed that. Um, you would wound a dog. Bear with me. You would wound a dog with a knife or something and place the dog <gasps> on each ship. All right. Then something associated with that dog. So either the bandage that was around its it, leg or whatever it was, or the knife that we used to make the wound would remain at the home port. And then at midday, you would plunge whatever it was, so the knife or the bandage or whatever, into something called the powder of sympathy. Whatever this powder was, I've no idea. But the powder of sympathy, and this meant that the effect of this powder would cause pain in the dog's wound thousands of miles away, would cause it to howl, and then you would know that it was midday. Oh, so if in your home port, you know, if let's say uh, John has stabbed the dog, yeah, his wife Margaret says, "Don't worry, I'm going to put it in the powder at one o'clock." So get ready for the dog to yell. Yeah. It will be at one o'clock. Yeah. So then, so then when the when the when the the dog howls at uh, at one o'clock or midday, whatever it is, uh, you know that that's the time back home, and so you might be, you know, seventeen hours ahead, but you know that it's one o'clock, so you still know that's how you're going to know where you oh are in relation. To, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that is like, absolutely bonkers. I mean, what? what about the dog? I mean, <laughs> well, I know this poor Any dog. Any sympathy for the dog? Um, I mean, of course not. God, Might get some there scraps. are many questions, aren't there? I mean, the powder, talcum powder. I mean, what kind of powder? What did you call it? Powder, powder of sympathy. Sympathy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, I, think I don't we've got quite a bit know of a what lack of sympathy really. I, I mean, I just dog. don't. It, it's it's amazing. It's. I mean, who on earth would think that that is? It is. But did he actually trial it? Was this trial? Um, no, I, I wouldn't have thought so. I wouldn't have thought so, no. Well, he was probably, he probably did trial it, Alex. He probably thought, well, you know, if I haven't got back in, I'll do it myself. Yeah, I mean, just completely mad. Gosh. Completely mad. But anyway, so that's just one of the brilliant ideas that was put forward. That's the most, I think that's the maddest one. Um, there we go. So um, this gives us the sense that London and Greenwich in particular is is kind of the heart of all of this timekeeping at sea and, and being a, a naval nation, it's, you know, it's a very big deal. So we come to the prime meridian, the Greenwich meridian, the mean time, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and why is it in Greenwich? Why is the zero in Greenwich? So firstly, what is a meridian? Um, 
as you mentioned earlier, it's these north-south lines, which uh, you, you have one, which is the zero, and then essentially for, for kind of astronomical observations, it starts as, and then you can build up an accurate map of the sky from if you start from that one particular spot and then you kind of move so the you, you need the, the zero one um as well for when you start to to, to time zone everything out so it, up until this point time is it's quite a it's quite a relative concept which is a very big statement but essentially what that means is that there wasn't any standardized time so in london it could be at five o'clock but then in guildford it might be six forty-five or whatever and people and so this is when you start to get the the trains uh, starting with the industrial revolution um you need to have a standardized time because otherwise train timetables are going to mean nothing if they say it leaves at seven you know seven o'clock from london but it arrives in southampton at four forty-five. it doesn't mean anything does it and people won't know where to go and what time to get the train and all that kind of thing so it's around this time that we see this happening um and it's decided that you need a zero and then every place on earth is measured in terms of its distance east or west from that line and so the question arises where do we put the zero where does the zero line have to go that makes the most sense for the most people and greenwich is chosen now interestingly it's chosen in 1884 so actually quite late um in a conference that's in washington dc uh 25 nations all meet together to decide where it is and one of the things that they or some of the reasons they they uh they look at is that um the USA has already chosen Greenwich as the basis for its own national time zone system, almost certainly because, you know, coming from the UK, lots of people moved to America and they would have set things up related to, to what, what they had back at home. So that makes sense. Um, also, in the late 19th century, 72% of the world's commerce uh, depends very heavily on see charts which use Greenwich as the centre. Already they've got this sort of de facto zero at Greenwich. So it's sort of decided that realistically keeping it at Greenwich is going to be the most helpful to the most amount of people. And so it's voted on at this conference in Washington DC in 1884. Uh, There were 22 votes in favour, one vote against Santo Domingo, and two abstentions. One is Brazil. Can you guess which country abstained as well? One of our, um, I'm one of our loves. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. They haven't said no, but they've kind of gone huffy, huffy that England's got it. But anyway, yes, yeah, so France got, also abstained. Right underneath, I mean, if you follow the line from Greenwich going down, you get to Paris, which is where no, they No, not quite. Do. You get to Portugal. Oh, to get Portugal, yeah. so not on the Paris line. No, oh, Paris okay. is um, is slightly further over. But I mean, it's not far off. But yeah, um, but you go through Portugal, which is why Portugal's got ah, the same okay. time zone as the UK. But um, but I just love that they're kind of like, well, I guess it's fine. But I don't really <laughs> want to give you the seal of approval. Oh, the French, we love to hate them. They love to hate us. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> um, so there we go. So that is why Greenwich was selected as zero. So if you do go to Greenwich, you can stand at the top of the hill with one foot either side of the meridian and you can theoretically be half in the eastern hemisphere and half in the west and also if you go up the country um not just in london but all the way through there are little you can find little roundels in the floor and that will show you exactly where the meridian line runs so there are some through greenwich but there are some also going up through london and up up uh, above that as well so you always know where you are in relation and there is and there's, hilarious, there's a little shop in Greenwich which I'm sure you know Emily at the bottom which calls itself the first shop in the world yeah. which I rather like because uh, because of its, of its location close to the um the Greenwich Meridian although I think they fail to realize that there is a gift shop at the top of the hill which is practically slap bang on the primary yeah. <laughs> right, but I love that they've gone with that so it's the first shop uh to the west of that Meridian so there we go so oh, that is it that is Greenwich I love that and tide I, and clocks the, the observatory is just such a fascinating space and when you take people up there and they stand with a a leg on either side it's it's wonderful isn't it and you've got all the little uh, other countries listed so you can see exactly how far behind or in front they are in terms of time yeah oh i love that alex thank you so much that's right i love see i love greenwich and i just love 
um yeah I, I love the naval history and all that kind of stuff i'm a water baby anyway but um so it, it, it speaks to me uh but i, I kind of I, I find it so fascinating that um yeah that, that so much of his life was dedicated to it it's, it's quite definitely so did he get the full money in the end because he got given ten thousand mostly he he, he oh, managed to extract kind of most beforehand? of it yeah i think he didn't actually i think it was his family that um who were fighting for it at the end um i'm not sure who in his family so i don't know if it was uh you know kids and wife or if it was brothers and sisters and things like that i'm not sure but but i think yeah at the end it was his family who, who sort of fought for the last bit they did manage to extract most of it not not everything but you know this, this poor guy has worked his entire life and, and doesn't even really see the the fruits of his labors but here we go but now i mean he's got such a legacy behind his name when you think yeah. of time and when you think of longitude which i often do you know you think <laughs> of harrison yeah so although he didn't get as much money as he should have in terms of how how recognized he is and what he did yep. for the world it's astonishing legacy proper legacy so there we go yay, yay. Look at john harrison and nobody died this week well clousy shovel died but apart well, from Clousley, that don't forget Cloudsley. yeah Cloudsley um, and the potentially men. the dog one of the dogs wounded so the dog's still alive so wow. yeah so so not not too much death and destruction this week which is pretty decent yeah pretty decent and i don't <laughs> think we had any last week so then we did we're doing well yay <laughs> this episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com it's easy to find your new vibe dive into the western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from prada you can shop for everything on your agenda whether it's a breezy zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright chloe blazer for brunch find inspiration for your new vibe every day at sax.com podcast pedestal podcast pedestal toppers what are you going for gosh um can you can you give me the quote again from cook when cook oh, was so okay. overjoyed yeah he said um it had been found to answer beyond all expectation so you said that time wasn't going to be sexy but i think i think that's it's <laughs> the way i said it isn't sexy. it <laughs> <laughs> it is actually yeah um i think i'm going to go with the cook quote damn it <laughs> <gasps> i think this is the first time that i've picked I think, something I think you, that yeah. you were going to pick yes you've uh you've usurped me all right okay it's all right i have a backup so you're going to go for, not, not for Cook, but for the, his quote, his, his quote in particular. For his quote. I'm going to go for yeah. his quote. Okay. Interesting. All right. Well, I'm going to go then for Cloudsley Shovel. Partly because his name is so brilliant. Ooh. But also partly because yeah. his, the fact that, you know, he was run aground and died and all this sort of stuff and, and died on the, on the coast of, um, of the UK uh, precipitated this, this, problem solving because like i say the government had not really been bothered doing anything because they were like eh, problems that don't really happen on our doorstep so um good old cloudsley shovel um yeah i think his his sort of go this way chaps um slightly renegade attitude uh without the all the proper information was was the yeah the catalyst for creating this uh, incredible thing and you know, if they hadn't done it then, it would have been years later and maybe John Harrison mightn't have done it and wouldn't have been a big success or whatever. So, yeah, good old Cloudsley Shovel. Taking one for the team. Yeah, I think that's a good one. If I wasn't going to go for the quote, I'd probably go for Cloudsley myself. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see next week, Alex. Okay. Well, that's it. Those are your options, everybody. We have the quote by Captain James Cook and we have Sir Cloudsley Shovel martyring himself on the uh, the shores of the UK for the greater good <laughs> go. excellent oh no that was lovely thank you yeah. very much indeed mm. all right before we find out where we're going to go next week do you have anything coming up um only that i have a garden tour on the Ooh, 24th yeah. i have to think about that then so um in an english country garden on the 24th of april and this one is at 
when's this one 2 p.m it's an hour and a half it's 10 pounds per person going to be taking you around the country to some of the most beautiful gardens we have here in england amazing um and yes i'm going to be putting up on my website a few walking tours in the near future fab yay I'm so excited to get back out doing walking tours. Um, so for me, yes, I've, um, I'm just putting some dates up for walking tours on my website. I'm not going to do them immediately. I'm going to do them in a few weeks from now, but they're, they're going up. And the results are in for the next series of virtual tours as well. So they're going up and uh, I will be uh, putting booking open for that as well. So I will let you know um, a bit more about that next week. Yay. Lovely jubbly. The Wheel of Destiny. Uh, right. So it is your favourite time of the week. It's time for the wheel. Um, There is something that I want to talk about. Okay. I'd like to talk about. Is it death and destruction? There is a little bit of death (laughs) and quite a lot of destruction. Oh, God. (laughs) But it's very interesting. Okay. Okay. Yeah? Okay. So I'm just... I mean, I might not be able to... Well, to be honest, I... I'm just going to spin the wheel and see what happens. Oh, okay? is this one of those ones that you can put in any area and you're just going to do it anyway? Alex, just let me spin the wheel for <laughs> heaven's sake. All right, go for it. Okay. Oh, it's... Oh, it's oh, it has. It's landed in Mayfair. Okay. <laughs> I feel like she's pulling a fast one here. Anyone else? No, it's, it's definitely landed in Mayfair. Um, but you are right. In terms of what I want to talk about, it, it basically, it covered the whole of London. You've been talking about doing something like this for a while, doing an outlier. It was uh, quite a dramatic event. I'm going to be talking about the Great Smog of 1952. Oh, epic. All right. Yeah. Oh, you don't sound too excited for no, this. No, I am. I am. The Great Smog. The Great Smog. The I great can't believe smog. it. Yeah. I'm so excited. <laughs> Is that better? Thank you. Yes, that's a bit better. That's a bit better. Yes, I'm going to be talking about the Great Smog. Um, and although, yes, there there is death and destruction, um, but it is such a huge event that took over quite quite a few days and um, it's just really interesting how people reacted to it, how they didn't react to it. Um, the, the things they had in place it was it's just in my in my eyes in my opinion fascinating <laughs> I, I'm so- <laughs> yay <laughs> brilliant well that's next week's one lovely there we go all right well listen thank you everybody for coming um go and vote the, the polls will be up on sunday uh again you can drop us an email if you like and we will see you next week for a bit of uh great smog action <laughs> yay <laughs> have, have a, a lovely week. week everybody enjoy the sun if it's on you take care everyone bye bye, bye.